Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Each week, we hear real-time stories from athletes and CEOs on how to maximize performance through an endurance mindset. Let's get started. Well, welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Today's guest is a dear friend of mine, a published author. In fact, I've got one of your books here. And an inspirational speaker of, to business professionals, university students, and the leaders of tomorrow. He's the founder and general manager of 30AVHP, CEO and founder, head coach of Petra Coach. Please welcome Andy Bailey. Welcome, Andy. Thanks, Greg. I appreciate you having me on today. It's great to, great to be with you. So we focus on endurance and endurance leadership on our podcast. And my favorite question to ask my guests is, Andy, tell me how your endurance mindset has impacted your life unexpectedly. Unexpectedly. Um, you know, when I speak to groups, I use this thing called the gap. And the best way to describe it is uh, on one axis, there is complexity, right? Or growth. And on one axis, there is time. So complexity over the course of time or growth over the course of time. Whether that be life, life just gets more complex. We had you know, we had kids or a dog or a new house or a car or, you know, a boat or whatever the hell we add to our lives. Complexity has a tendency to creep in, which creates, um, adversity, right? So complexity generates adversity. If you're running a company, you can just, you know, add two more people and things get more complex and things get more difficult. If the individual, the person doesn't continually grow, add capacity to themselves via you know, reading, learning, knowledge, skill acquisition, maybe it's just mentally getting tougher, whatever that might look like, then life or business tends to outgrow the individual. So in this gap play, we do it with ourselves. Life gets more complex over the course of time. If we don't keep up with that, then we get into a state of overwhelm and anxiety and we have a hard time handling. So part of our job is to increase our capacity, which is what you're talking about with endurance. Like we're increasing our capacity to deal with whatever's coming at us. So the challenge with that for ourselves is one thing. And for those around us is a completely other thing. So the gap comes in to play where, you know, as an EO member, a fellow EO member, um, we get exposed to a lot of learning. I've been an EO member since 1997. So very long time. And we, have a tendency to be that learning leader, the one that grows and grows and grows, um, where most people you know, are, our team members. And for, for me personally, those inside my own household, uh, don't do that as readily as I do it. Right. And it's not something that you, know, you can give direction all you want to, even you, you give demands all you want to, but somebody has to want to actually increase their own capacity through either you know, skill acquisition, knowledge, or just doing hard things to get tougher, whatever that might look like for them. Um, so that's where the gap comes in. So talking about the gap, the gap is, you know, you individually as endurance leader, you know, growing and growing and growing and getting better and stronger and faster, better, stronger and faster, but those around you do not. So the unexpected uh, for me would have been, and still is, the difficulty of leaving people behind that don't want to come on the journey with me. And I experienced that personally in my own personal life. I experienced that professionally and continue to experience that professionally in my own businesses. 
That's really well said, Andy. Um, could you go a little bit deeper and give an example of a situation that you were in in which you had to leave either a group or an individual behind so you can continue sure. I mean, your I've got journey? A, I've got it going on right now inside of our organization um, where you know we as an organization have outgrown um, a producer in the business. You know, the way that we, we went through COVID together, right? I mean, we had to change our business model. Our business model is to fly to a city, put groups of people in a room together and work with them on the strategic execution of what they need to do in their businesses. Well, that shit didn't happen for two years. So we, we had to reconstruct everything that we do. So the way that we did that work prior to the pandemic is no longer applicable to how we're doing it now. We're also twice as big four years later as we were then too. Uh, and the individual is just not willing to increase their capacity through skill acquisition, knowledge, would do things a little bit differently uh, to keep up with the actual growth. So that, you know, I think, I think it happens when I, when I talk about that in rooms of people and I have a graph and a poster that goes up on the wall and we talk about it. Um, and I usually ask, is anybody going through this or been through this recently? And there's just tons of stories. Like, oh, that's a visual image of exactly the way I feel about something, whatever it might be. So how do you have that conversation with that individual? Um, <laughs> well, you know, I'm human too. So we have the tendency to put it off. Um, which just makes it worse and everybody's a little bit more irritated than, than they could be or should be. I had a call yesterday from a guy who's in a PR business. He's, a, he's an actual EO member. Uh, I don't know what city he's located in. I didn't ask, but he called me because he has a 50-50 partner in his business who, as he describes it, despises EO, doesn't want anything to do with it, probably won't even work with us because I'm an EO member. Um, but the guy's like, you know, he's on this exact same journey. He's been doing it for a few years now. And now the pain that it has caused is this separation between these two individuals who happens to happen to be 50, 50 partners in their business. And he's trying to figure out, you know, this guy wants to split the business and, you know, buy it or move it or destroy it or whatever. And this guy's like, Hey man, why don't we just go build this thing to the moon? So they're on two separate paths of growth. And had they had the discussion earlier, had I had the discussion earlier with my team member, if I had the discussion with other people in my life that that gap developed so wide that it's just damn near impossible to bring it back together. The effort and energy to bring it back together is so great that we just don't want to go do it. So if you, to avoid it, you know, it's there. We all know it's there. We know it's there instantly. As soon as it's there. Go have that conversation when it's a small conversation before it gets to be something so great that you're not putting it back together. That's great advice. Um, shifting gears a little bit, Andy, you know, I've, you and I have chatted a handful of times and I know fitness is a big part of your life. I would love to hear you talk about your fitness passions and how it relates to your business principles within how you support uh, your clients and, and even your own business. Yes. Um, so I was a fat kid, like a really fat kid. And my grandmother used to take me to the you know, department store for clothes shopping for school and walk in and say, where's the Husky section, you know, and announced that 
you know, hey, the fat kid is here. Come on in. My stepfather would ridicule me for eating this at the table or that at the table. Um, so I've always struggled with that in my life. Still struggle with it. I yo-yo up and down about 12 or 15 pounds one way or the other on a, on a constant basis, depending on you know what I'm paying attention to. I recently moved to Colorado um, so I could actually train at altitude and do things a little bit heavier. But Jesse Itzler has a great saying, and he says, how you do anything is how you do everything. So for me, speaking from my own personal experience, if I'm fat and lazy and don't get up and go do the thing that I know I'm, I need to go do, whether that be go for a run in the morning or go to the gym in the afternoon, which is usually my routine, or if I'm traveling and, you know, get in a little bit late, I don't get up and go do it the next morning, which happens, which I'm not a perfect human being. I'm just chasing a little bit more excellence constantly. Um, then the other parts of my life have a tendency to fall suit. So if, if I'm not taking care of the little things that I have 110% fucking control over, 110% control over those things that are over here to the side that actually have good meaning and I should be doing too, they, they have a tendency to fall too. So from a, just, the, you know, fitness is one of those things that feeling good, um, being able to perform at a high level, I mean, I mean that bleeds into everything else. And in addition to that, I believe that that little bit of discipline that you can add to your life by doing the, even if it is just rolling out of bed and doing five pushups on the floor and getting back in bed after that, that's fine. I don't give a shit what it is, but that little bit of discipline that you can add by doing that thing for you will bleed over into everything else in your life. You know, it's interesting this year. Um, I was working with my coach and one of my goals was to run 365 miles across the year. And when I told her that she said, oh, you're going to run a mile every day. And I said, no, that's not the commitment. I'd rather run all 365 at once and not, and push it off and push it off. But she convinced me to go the other way. And since the beginning of the year, I've been hitting one mile and some some miles, some days I walk it because I had a big training day the day before or whichever. But to your point, having that routine, it's like, oh, and my kids now are like, hey, dad, go get your mile in. And there's yeah. been nights where it's 1145 at night and I'm on the treadmill after a big dinner and I'm still getting. But to your ultimate point, other things in your life seem to come into routine and just blossom. I'd love to know, Andy, how did you come up with that concept? When did you realize that yeah. mastering the small things really how helps with the big things? I've always been like a bow on top kind of, kind of person. So, um, if you're familiar with disc or your listeners are familiar with disc, um, you know, D is like dominance and the C pieces, you know, detail. And then you have like S is supportive and I's interpersonal skills and you like people. Well, on that scale set, I sit as far out on the possible edge between the D and the C. So for me, it's give me the results and make sure that everything is lined up perfectly in my closet is blue shirts, white shirts, blue jeans, colored pants, by tongue to color, you know, the socks are in the right, like I've always kind of had that tendency of, um, you know, putting stuff in order, making sure, and if it is not orderly, then I get a little bit chaotic in, internally. But the moment that I learn about, uh, truly about what discipline can do, and I'm going to equate mountain climbing to discipline was I was working with a company down in Florida 
um, Petra Coach, you know, the organization we work with companies to help them scale. And I was working as a coach, uh, growing the organization, but also participating as a coach. And this is a landscape business in the panhandle of Florida. You know, the closest place to the ocean you can get to, the Gulf in this case. And the guy and his partner said, hey, you know, um, in the summertime, we go out to Colorado and we climb mountains. We do these things called 14ers. I didn't know what a 14er was. A 14er is a 14,000-foot mountain. Um, there's 54 of them in the state of Colorado, and these jokers just go out and climb them for fun. And I said, well, hell, uh, I think I could, I could get into that with you guys. So I went with them one summer. This is about six or seven years ago. And they had been doing it for a couple of years prior to this and had a little bit of experience. So I kind of trusted them. I didn't ask a lot of questions, but they, they took me first on what's called North Maroon Bells, which is top three most difficult miles to climb in the state. I didn't know that at the time until I got to the very top and they told. Um, but it was a hell of an arduous day. The single hardest physical and mental day I've ever had, physical and mental, I've had Lots of mental tough days, but when I put those two things together, however, on the other side of doing that activity, nothing was difficult for me for a while. It wears off, you know, perception wears off over time. We have to go renew it. So that's, I, I go do them every year, multiple times a year now, but the discipline it takes when you're in agony, physically and mentally. And all you want to do is just stop to take one more step and then take one more step and then take one more step, slide back four, take two more. Like it's, those are very arduous, hard things to go do, especially at the level that we did them and still do from time to time. We do now we take groups up and do these things, but we do the lower tier ones. They're not nearly as arduous as these big ones. But that's where the discipline in me comes from. And it's just that little bit, I call it picking it up and putting it on my shield. So that every time I took a step that I didn't want to take, I put a little extra discipline on my shield and I owned it. It's mine. And then I can use this shield out in the world where something else is tempting me or I, I feel like I shouldn't go do that or I really don't want to go do that. My shield's pretty strong for that. Now, is it, is it, does it get weak? Hell yeah, it wears off. And I have to go back and build up new disciplines, new little, little tiny things that are going to add to my shield. And if I get enough of that armor on my shield, nothing is going to slow me down or stop me. It doesn't scare me anymore. That's awesome. Um, and you're spot on. Is there, a, can you give us an example of, of something you did your 14er, fit your shields nice and strong and something came up in your life that normally would have set you back that, but since you oh, had just accomplished easy. it, like, yeah. Super easy COVID. Mm. Yeah. I mean, talk to us a little bit more about that. Yeah. When I mean, COVID showed up, we met on March the 13th. We all got in a room, all leadership team got in a room and said, shit, got 127 flights booked and paid for. We can't take them. We have, you know, we would do 200 planning days a quarter with companies. So we had, you know, looking into the future, everybody, 40% of our business had called and said they were going to not pay us. Um, we scholarshiped them, meaning we said, no, you still need the help more than ever. We're going we're gonna to do the work regardless because we had the time and now we had extra time because we weren't flying around the damn world doing shit. So we're going to do everything virtual. We had to figure all that stuff out, right? Where we took, we took and played offense 
mostly during that time period. I think most people, because it was scary and unknown and freakishly odd and, you know, all kinds of weird shit was showing up constantly. They, they got into a very defensive mode and we, we, we Petra really kind of, we did it ourselves first and that was me doing it. Everybody on my team was scared to death. Like they thought the world was ending and, you know, they were going to get, be fired or laid off or whatever. Uh, like they were frightened. I was like, let's go. We can figure this out. And I just led through that. And by doing that, we actually set the example as an organization that helped a bunch of other companies do the same thing. Now, our team drew energy from the latter, not the, not me, our team, they were still scared in my world, but when they took the example that we were setting, I was setting from the, from the leadership seat and they, they used that with themselves, with their, we call our clients members with their member companies. Don't be defensive. Let's play some offense. Let's, what do we got to do here? I'm sure there's some defensive moves you have to make, but certainly there was, there were ways to continue rather than just cowering in a corner. I, I like to say, Greg, that when we do difficult things, when we do things that are mentally and physically difficult, um, when the wolf shows up the next day, the next month, the next six months, whatever it might look like for you, and the wolf will always show up at your door. But when that wolf shows up, that wolf is not nearly as frightening as it would have been had you not done the activity. And you get a choice. We as humans get a choice. We can choose to do. Nobody made me go climb that damn mountain. Nobody, we did two. We did one last week and one, two weeks prior. Nobody makes me go do that, right? So you can choose to get up and run every single day, one mile. Or we can wait around for an illness to show up, which is going to put you through hardship and pain mentally and physically. Or we can wait around for something to happen to you in your life, whatever it might be. And that's going to happen too. I think in society today, the human condition has gotten to the point where people would rather just lay around and bellyache and moan and, you know, be miserable and learn from being miserable what they could rather than making themselves, and this is a terrible way to say it, but making themselves miserable. 11.45 after a big meal running is fucking miserable. Nobody wants to go do that, but making yourself miserable on purpose on purpose, climbing those mountains is a miserable experience. But by doing it, I gain a ton of perspective and discipline. Now, I can get it either way. I can get it either way, but I'd rather get them both. So that when I get my one that I did by design, I can defend myself by default. I love the way you said that, you know, the learn experience, the choice versus it's just going to happen. So why not be the buffalo that runs into the storm right. to have the most amount of pain at the shortest period of time versus running away from the storm and eventually getting to the cliff and realizing I either got to jump off or go through the storm anyways. Yeah. You're going to, it's going to show up. The wolf is going to show up at the door. Bad shit's going to happen. You know, people are going to hurt you. They're, I mean, all this, it's just a matter of factual life. If you want to just build your shield, you can wait around for it to happen for you, or you can build it twice as strong by you know, leveraging your own capability. Fantastic. And he's shifting gears a little bit. I'd love to talk to the audience about who you are, your background, childhood. Give us, give us your journey. Let's see. 
my parents divorced when I was six. My mother was, she passed away 11 years ago. My mother was married eight times. I lived with my mother after the divorce. So that was an experience. We moved a lot. I didn't go to the same school for more than six months until I was in the 10th grade because I got kicked out of, expelled from the ninth grade. Moved in from my mother's house to my father's house when I was 14. Graduated high school when I was 16. Went to college when I was 17, which is a bad idea. I was not invited back after the first semester of college because I had a 0.67 grade point average and they sent me home. Plus I was 17. I had no business in college. So I worked in construction for a while as a day laborer, did that for about two, two and a half years. Um, decided I wanted to go back to school. I'm like, oh, this shit's really hard. Went back to school for a bit. Started a pager business, Beepers, which was my first EO qualifying business in 1993. And if you remember pagers and beepers back in the day, it was, you know, for us, we, we didn't have, we didn't own the towers. We just bought the time from the carrier and then resold it. And we did this in the rural markets, like little bitty towns all over the place because cell phones didn't work in a small market. So if you were in a rural area, then you couldn't use a cell phone, but you could use a pager. So we sold pagers up until cell phones got into those markets. And then we picked up cell phones. So we did like the, you know, pagers, two-way radio, cell phones, Blackberry, uh, Nextel, even back in the MCI days. So I had a, I had a wireless telecom business for 18 years, 93 to 2011, sold in 2011, it took about a year, went down to Florida, back and forth from Tennessee to Florida. I live in Colorado now. And. I had run that organization on Vern Harnish's Rockefeller Habits from 2005 until the ultimate sale in 2011. And it really, like, it turned me around, allowed me to, to actually lead as opposed to manage and dictate all the time, which is my tendency. And I was trying to figure out what to do next. And I thought, well, I'll just go help a few people with this kind of methodology that you know, Rockefeller habits, scaling up methodology stuff. And I did, I found a few friends and condom ended up paying me a few bucks to kind of help them on the side. And I really enjoyed working with their companies. Like, you know, Mike Maddock, who you probably know, says, you, know, you can't read the label when you're inside the jar, but I could read the label because I was on, I was not inside the jar with them. So I had this methodology that I could help them kind of plug and play in their organization. And, um, made a decision to grow a, an actual coaching practice. So I didn't want to just, just be me. I wanted it to be with other people. So we're up to about 30 or so team members now, um, 150 or so companies that we work with. And, you know, some of our work is even international. We go to, into Germany and Italy and Canada, if you consider that international. Um, and then down into central and South America doing some work. So it's been, it's been a great run. Been doing that for, I guess, 11 years. And talk to us about your, if there is a typical client engagement or, or what your, let's put Petra on the, on the soapbox and hear about. It's usually a, um, a learning leader, right? That's kind of a qualification. You know, you, you need to be somebody that is willing to uh, do things differently. I find two things typically show one of two things typically show up in this individual or, or in this leadership team. There's either frustration or fear, no different than, you know, somebody that makes a decision to lose weight or a decision to, 
change their eating habits or decision, the exercise at some level, there's usually frustration. Uh, shit, I got to go get new pants again, or frustration of some sort shows up for change to happen or fear. I'm going to die. Doctor said, I'm going to die. So I better change my habits and business is no different. Uh, especially when you're running an organization with people, there are moments of complete frustration. I don't want to see these people today. I don't want to deal with these people. Nobody does anything around here. Like you can just hear entrepreneurs saying shit like this or fear. Oh my God, I can see such a big vision for this business, but we're never going to get there the way we're doing it. Like those, one of those two things needs to exist at some level, if not both for the work that we do, because the work we do is change, um, in mindset and in habits and everything else. And those things were true for me you know, back in the day. So a typical client is going to look like an entrepreneurial leader, usually owner led or ownership led could be partnerships. That's, that's fine. Usually not always true. We do work with some multinational, um, publicly traded companies too, but we, I mean, even with some of those we do globally, but most of them are, are owner led. Typically there's some level of frustration or fear that's in there and the leader in that business. And I'm talking more about the leader and the leadership team, because that's the real key to success with this, but the leader and the leadership team has to be willing to duplicate themselves. They can't be the person in the room that says, well, I got all the damn ideas. I'm the one that's going to do everything forever. You guys don't know shit. Listen to me. You have, they have to be willing to, at some level, duplicate themselves, like pass the information from one place to the other. You've been an EO for how long have you been an EO, Greg? 10 years. Yeah. So you've had this experience on a board or with board people. I know you do some regional stuff today where, cause I was, I was a global membership director for a few years and regional guys and all that stuff back. What feels like a hundred years ago now, but there's always, always a leader in a chapter, no matter the seat, sometimes it's the president that is going to dictate everything, do it their particular way. And ultimately doesn't want to share the data, the information. I don't want to teach somebody else how to be great because I need, I have an ego too big because I want to be the great one. Everybody just needs to come to me and ask me a question, right? That, that's, that can't exist and, and be a good, we call our clients members, member for us because mm. it just won't work. And we see it a lot. So as you get into those engagements, how do you separate those two things? Well, we interview for them first. So in the business development process, part of it is interviewing for those areas and then a grading system to see where they are. Um, once a coach and we do tandem coaching. So everybody gets two coaches on their account. And once those coaches get in there, we internally, we do a, an exercise, a scale of one to 10, how likely are they going to be to be here in another 12 months? That tells me, are they making progress or not making progress? And then on a, a scale of, uh, love, loathe, and tolerate, how well do you like actually working with this individual? So if it's, if it's the opposite of, you know, I'm complacent. I'm not making any changes. I'm a dictator. My ego is really big. Nobody's going to tell me anything. Then it's going to be a loathe on that list. There's no coach, nobody who sees the label and can help design the future of an organization goes in there and wants to be shut down like the rest of the team is shut down. So we go to, we go to battle with it. Uh, um, we fire members. They sometimes quit, you know, 
we let them know, look, this ain't going to work and here's why. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. I mean, you don't have to do this. Right. 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 Um, any common mistakes or common areas of focus that you find amongst your clients when you're bringing them on? Like somebody sitting in the audience, listening to our podcast today, running a business, you know, wondering if they should grab onto some coaching or take their business in a different direction. Is there any sort of common challenge you normally see in these types of organizations? I'll give you, I'll give you like, um, tactical and then I'll give you like, um, you know, kind of a mental barrier. I think people have, let's do the mental barrier first. When I, I do a lot of talk, uh, speaking, so I'm you know, on a stage or in an EO chapter, YPO chapter, Vistage, whatever, uh, book Nepal, New Zealand yesterday. So 2024, 2025. Uh, so we do some international stuff too. And I say this at the very beginning, I show a slide of myself and then it's got like, you know, my email address and my Facebook and Instagram and all the social media stuff. And it has my cell phone number on it. And I say this to an audience, um, that is my cell phone number. It goes directly to me. You can call me anytime that you want to. You can text me anytime that you want to. You're now in my world because we're going to be together for the next three hours. Uh, Stop suffering in silence. Now, if you had the answers to every fucking question you wanted to ask and you had a conduit to go get the answers, wouldn't, why in the hell wouldn't you just ask the question? And the next statement I, I make is, and none of you will ever do it. From experience, from hundreds of stages and tens of thousands of people that have said that to, maybe, maybe three a month actually call text sometimes the email and say, Hey man, I'm dealing with this. What do you think? Or, Hey, can I get five minutes of your time on a phone or run something by you? That that's the barrier. I think that is most common, especially the highly educated, highly experienced individuals in business, highly experienced in business does not equate to, you know, I've been the COO for 15 years. It could be, you know, I'm, I'm the technical genius at this particular thing. Cause I've been doing it since I'm 11. That's fine. But they, you know, that one piece of the business, there's 360 degrees of a damn organization. So you've got to get to where you understand that. But most people would never, never speak up and ask for help. And I think it's just ego driven or they want to feel like they got it all together and you know this to be true as well. You've been around long enough. There's um, nobody has their shit together. Nobody. Everybody's broken. Everybody's got black spots. I mean, there is, you know, darkness everywhere. So it's all broken. And then the other, the one that's more kind of tactical is evaluation of team members. I mean, I'm going through it right now. Like there are, more organizations than not that we walk into that they're just hanging on to somebody because they're loyal, because they're, they're okay at what they do. They're, you know, you know, they've been there for 15 years. We can't let that person go. Um, and you're not, we're not doing them any favors either. And again, I'm teaching myself as I say these words out loud, cause I'm dealing with the exact same situation and, and it is a, a bit of a pain to go through that process, but, um, you know, we prune trees so that they can grow. 
in every organization I've ever worked with, when somebody either leaves or is let go, 99% of the time, the next person who fills that seat is, is an elevated game changer in an organization. And if you think about it, that's absolutely true. 99% of the time, the person that takes that job the next time uh, is an elevating game changer. And you're like, holy shit, we got Jimmy now. And we had the Steve. Now we're just so much better. Why did we let Steve go earlier? We always do that. And we know that's true. Yet we don't move fast enough on, you know, taking action with an individual for non-performance or whatever it might be. And it's not, we make it about them, but it's really about us. We're the ones that are too afraid to do it. Andy, you mentioned um, process in what you just said and around evaluation of teammates. And I find that one of the reasons we don't get to letting Jimmy go earlier is because we don't have a process to follow, right? It's that awkward conversation that you haven't practiced or you don't know what the next step is. And so you just avoid it, right? It's you're avoiding that discomfort. Do you have a proven or a repeatable process in dealing with those situations, those evaluations? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's part of our coaching practice. So when we work with organizations, we, we talk about what is the performance management system uh, that you have today. Let's, let's work to make sure it's, you know, that it is good. We don't want to come in and say, this is what you have to go do. If you already have something that's working, let's just make sure it's working well. But we certainly have a performance management system and it's not anything that's like crazy arduous or has software behind it or, you know, it, it is simply, it's simply following, um, top grading methodology, which Fern talked about in Rockefeller habits in the early days, you know, Brad smart stuff. What is the scorecard? What is What are the clear expectations of the particular role? And then on a regular basis, no less than once a quarter, you're just reviewing the performance on those particular expectations. That's as simple as it is. And then making adjustments. So what's the next step? No different than how we would run a business. We would sit down and say, these are the goals for the year. Q1, we got to do this. All right. How do we do? Not so well. All right. Well, we got to fix that. What are we going to do in Q2? Q2, we do these. Yep. Did pretty good on those. Well, what's next? Q3, we do these. Q4, we do these. All lined up with our goals for the year. No different when you're managing an individual. So Jimmy... This Jimmy happens to be our guy now. So Jimmy, you know, knows what the expectations are in our, in our world. We, we do our very best to get our companies to do it every two weeks, which sounds crazy. And it doesn't take a lot of time if you do it on a more regular cadence and you can speed correction or improvement in a, a faster pace, if you can get it to two weeks, but we always tell people no, no less than once a quarter, like you can't do it once a year. So. Clear expectations. We use the system called scorecarding or scorecards. And then once that's clear, it's communicated to Greg or Jimmy. Jimmy, here's the expectations. And then we sit down on a regular basis, no less than once a quarter. If you can do it once a month, great. If you can do it every two weeks, awesome. And you just review that. This is how you're doing. 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 And it's a mix of leading and lagging indicators. Could be activities that are leading and lagging. Doesn't matter. Jimmy knows where he is and we know where Jimmy is. And then we're taking steps, corrective action. All right, let's do this a little bit differently. Make sure you keep doing that. You're doing awesome. Let's do this a little bit differently. I'll see you in two weeks. I'll see you in a month. I'll see you in a quarter. Same things. I think we, 
you work with a lot of businesses who are like, yeah, well, we need to go get lattice or, you know, HR system, blah, 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 and get that installed and all this shit. Well, just take a piece of paper, write down the expectations and sit with somebody on a regular basis and review the expectations and improvements. Like I can do with a whiteboard, what any human can do with a piece of software pretty easily. So don't overcomplicate it. I always find it interesting how, especially as an endurance athlete, how I won't apply the discipline and the learning from my endurance training, right? Cause you're always checking in, you're always weighing yourself. You're looking to see what your VO2 is. You're looking to, you've got all these data, these metrics that you're trying to hit over a course of a training cycle, but you don't take that and apply the same principles to your business and managing your team and setting your goals. It's fascinating that those aren't more correlated. And I'll add to it, um, when we do our work that we do in Boundless, which is the sister company to Petra for the individual, uh, that exact same thing is true with every other area in most people's lives. We don't put those same kind of metrics around our family interactions, right? How many times did you call your dad? Like for me, you know, I told you my story a bit. I moved to my father's house when I was 14. I only saw him twice a year leading up to that. Love my dad, but I don't have like a, you know, I don't have the relationship with my father. A person who grew up with their dad for 18 years before they went to college would have had, right? So I have a goal that I measure and check off my list to call my father and have a conversation every week, every week, 52 times a year. Same thing with you with the run. It's exactly the same thing, but that's how I'm keeping a connection and a relationship with my father. So it's the same thing. We don't do it in our business and we don't do it in our lives. Fitness is a place that we do a lot of it, but there are a lot of areas of our lives as well. And if I remember correctly, you speak to that in your first book, kind of the I do, yeah. process of that. Yeah. Um, and then we, I created a, a journaling system and a, a guide for laying out what you, what are your dreams? What do you want your life to look like? What do you got a year? What do you got to do the first year? What do you got to do in the first 30 days? And there's a journaling system. That's a piece of that. And that's what I speak on today. So when I'm doing all this speaking, I don't talk about business at all. Like when somebody hired me, I get, I get hired to come do like business conferences a lot, um, EO chapters or YPO chapters. And they're a little bit like, what do you mean? We're not going to talk about how to hire and keep employees or. Like, dude, that shit's easy compared to how screwed up we are in our like home life. So let's figure that out. If I can, if I can give you tools to help you, and it's the same tools we use in business, exactly the same things that we teach in business. All we did was turn them into, you know, pointing it at the, the individual and the human and for life itself, exact same system. Amazing. Last question for you, Eddie, what's next? What are you training for? What are you, what's your business gearing up for? Well, um, business is, we're, I mean, we're kind of a, and by design, you know, a slow, steady growth. I'm not, I've worked with, I work with a lot of companies and have in the past that grow really fast and it creates all kinds of chaos. I'm just, I'm, I'm, too, I'm past that. I'm not interested in creating too much chaos as I go through the process of growth. So continuing steady, slow, incremental growth, adding three new team members a year, not 30. You know, we, we, we always set a target for 30% top line and then maintaining our margins on, on the mid and, and bottom. So that, that works out pretty well. 
nothing crazy in the business right now from a change perspective. We have a, we have a magazine that we've published recently, republished recently. We had it pre-COVID, got rid of it during COVID and then brought it back. We're in our second edition of that. So that's kind of cool. Um, I do have a new book coming out this year. Goal is to have it out by Thanksgiving. I've got all the drafts sitting behind me right here <laughs> to go through and read and mark up. Uh, so that's new. And then uh, we, we've got a big adventure trip inside of Boundless for next year to do Kilimanjaro. Wow. Yeah. So we're taking up to 15 people on a trek there. I think we have five signed up so far. Uh, so that'll be fun. And then we're going to backside that with a personal safari and check out Africa a little bit. And That's then um, the Nepal trip we'll do probably end up doing base camp at least, which is a, you know, a week long track up Everest. So that'll be fun. That sounds exciting. Very exciting. Um, one last, last, last question. How do audience members get in touch with you? Um, they can, you can actually email me. That's fine. Uh, Andy at PetraCoach, P-E-T-R-A-C-O-A-C-H.com. Um, check out the website, boundless.me has more of the personal side of things on it, the journal system and, uh, access there. If you want to attend any of those classes that I do, I got some virtual stuff that I do. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a code to put in the show notes so they can get in and zero cost to that stuff. Uh, I host a couple of groups. Um, I'll do them four times a year at my home here in Colorado. If somebody wants to show up from, for one of those, it's an all day session. I'll give you a code. Zero cost. Again, just so this is like me standing on a stage and saying, call me anytime you want to. And nobody ever does. I'm going to let them into my home, feed them, water them, teach them something for an entire day. And probably nobody's going to take advantage of it. It's just, it's crazy. So go to the website, petracoach.com, boundless.me and check it out. Fantastic. And we'll conclude it. Thank you for your generosity there, Andy. Um, I hope somebody in our group does take you up on that offer. Um, I've loved our conversation today, how we started off talking about the gap and how, you know, our thirst for learning separates us from our teammates and, and other people that are in our lives. And one of the phrases that you wrote that you said that I really captured was chasing excellence. And it made me just ponder and think about chasing excellence and our conversation in discipline and routine and, um, you know, walking into the discomfort. Uh, it was was really powerful. And, and I know our audience is going to pick up a tremendous amount of value from that. And so to our audience, uh, if you got some value out of our show today, I ask that you subscribe to the show and ask that you also share this with your friends and family and your community. You know, the messages that we talked about throughout the show apply to everybody. And the more that we can reach out and influence others, the more powerful these types of communications can be. Andy, again, thank you for your time. It's wonderful reconnecting with you. Um, and I look forward to having a trek with you one of these days. All right, Greg. Appreciate it, buddy. Thank you for tuning in to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. To hear more inspiring stories and strategies around the endurance mindset, be sure to subscribe below or visit us at chiefenduranceofficer.com. Until next time, keep pushing those limits.